so maybe we'll just give it a couple more minutes. Um, our uh, technology doesn't always work super smoothly, so we can <laughs> give everyone a few more minutes to make sure they're connected. Go ahead. What do you think, Phil? I was kind of watching to yeah. see if the names were growing, but it looks like we've stabilized. Oh, yeah. All right. Oops. Let me get back my larger view. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so good morning, everyone. It's nice to see um, so many folks. Um, I'm going to ask that anyone that um, isn't speaking, maybe put yourselves on mute. I'm getting an echo. It might be on my end, but um, I don't know if anyone else is getting that. Nope, that sounds much better. Okay, great. Um, so I'm, I'm Paula. I'm joined by Phil. We're going to um, be doing a little bit of an introduction to our North America tax practice group today. Um, I, I didn't realize all the summers were attending, but I, I, I think that's great. Um, tax really plays a different role at Baker than it does at a lot of other firms. And so I think whether or not we manage to uh, recruit you to our cause, it'll still be kind of useful, hopefully, to hear a little bit about how our group functions um, and how we fit with the other practice groups as well. Um, we, we, we definitely want to encourage folks to, to pipe in and ask questions. I know it's hard with such a large group of folks. Um, you can also use the Zoom chat feature um, to, to shoot a note if you, if you have a question and, and don't feel like you can make yourself heard in this group, um, but, but please do stop us um, and, and interject. Uh, maybe we should start by just introducing ourselves a little bit and giving you a sense of our, our career paths and how we got to Baker and what we do. Um, Phil, do you want to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So I, my name is Phil Taylor. I am a partner in our Washington, D.C. office, and I focus on tax controversy, which is basically fighting with the IRS. Um, so I, I'm a Baker lifer. Uh, I started as a summer associate way back in 2006 and have been uh, practicing ever since uh, going on my 13th year now. So uh, yeah, as Paul mentioned, we love your questions. If you, it doesn't have to be limited to tax if you have any questions with uh, in regard to summer associate program or, or anything in terms of practice, happy to answer those. I know it's uh, probably the weirdest year ever to be a summer associate. I have to say I'm looking forward to actually seeing you in person someday as hypothetical as that might be right now. But, um, but basically my, my practice since I've started has been focused on, on, on tax um, on all the areas, but really on, like I said, you know, disputes with the IRS in court uh, and in you know, IRS audits and, uh, and dispute resolution in, in the IRS administrative forms. And I'm Paula Levy. I'm a partner in the Palo Alto office at Baker. Um, I started actually at another firm uh, when I was first out of law school post clerkship um, doing sort of domestic M&A and <coughs> excuse me, smattering of whatever else came in. Um, moved to Baker in 2011 um, to do international planning work and I have been here ever since. So I 
we'll talk a little bit more about exactly what the different practices do, but I'm more on the transactional side, so working with really large multinational companies primarily. Um, in Palo Alto, as you might imagine, we do a lot of tech sector work, um, helping them restructure their international operations, their supply chain, deal with managing tax rules all around the world, managing our ever-changing and crazy U.S. tax rules. Um, and some sort of M&A transactional work as well. Um, so that's, that's sort of my practice. Um, I, I love international tax planning. I think it's kind of the best, the best tax work that you can do anywhere. Um, if any of you have questions about what it's like to do tax at other places other than Baker, um, there are a few of us that, that have done it elsewhere. And I think you'll hear pretty consistent messaging that I, I think this is pretty much the most fun you can have doing tax at a law firm. Um, so, but feel free to reach out anytime, you know, during or after this presentation. Happy to chat about that. Um, so, so our goal for, for today's presentation, as I said, is really just to give you a sense of how our group works. And um, in particular, we, we use a lot of acronyms around here. So we want to make sure that you're not completely lost when people are throwing out things like NATPT. And what is that even? Uh, so uh, hopefully you'll, you'll feel a little bit more centered. Um, once we get through it. So why don't we dive in, see if I can get my slideshow to work. There we go. Um, okay, so, so we'll start sort of top down. Um, we are Baker McKenzie North America, but we fit into Baker McKenzie, the global firm, uh, which has a very large tax practice, as you can see, much larger actually outside the US than inside the US. Um, we are the largest law firm tax practice in the world. The only place you will find this many tax lawyers in one place anywhere else is at a big four. Um, and we, we do sort of compete with them for, for work in some respects, but we have the advantage of being able to kind of bring the, the whole law firm with us. So we can do not only the tax advice, but also sort of the uh, broader suite of, of legal services to go along with that which is really kind of a unique thing. Um, as you'll see, we have a huge group in, in EMEA, um, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, we work uh, quite a bit with, with all of our groups around the world. I would say in the work that I do, probably 95% of my projects have a global component, if not 100%. Um, and I am on the phone with somebody from one of these countries, you know, weekly, daily sometimes, um, certainly emails daily, um, which is pretty fun, uh, kind of getting to know your colleagues around the world and learning a little bit about how their systems work, how they differ from ours. Um, so going from there to North America, and I will let Phil take this one. Yeah, so, so North America is a pretty big practice group. We have 275 plus practitioners uh, it includes both uh, attorneys and economists, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And we're pretty well spread out uh, across all our major offices. They're all listed out here. Um, one thing to note is, you know, Mexico was historically, uh, up until a few years ago, not part of the North America Tax Practice Group. And we've really tried to integrate them into the group, and it's been a tremendous success. So our, our Mexican colleagues are, are part of the group as well. And, and basically, um, we, we really, um, so Paula mentioned we work globally uh, quite often, and Paula probably a little bit more than me since I focus on 
U.S. tax controversies, which have international issues, but typically are kind of domestic in, in the way that they're uh, resolved. But, uh, but we really frequently work across the country. So we staff projects where, you know, me in D.C., I can have um, an associate in New York and be uh, working for a principal in San Francisco. You can uh, see any variation of that. We, we work very frequently across practice groups, and I think that's limited to just my practice group. That's kind of all of the sub-practice groups. Um, and it's really a, a, a nationwide practice because our clients are everywhere. So a lot of our clients are near Paul in, uh, in Palo Alto in San Francisco, but we have a lot of clients in the Midwest, a lot of clients in the South. So uh, kind of because of that, it makes it really important we work together as a team uh, across the nation. Yeah, and I, I think that's going to, you know, help us a little bit. It's been helping us in adjusting to this remote working from home environment, frankly, because we were already used to working with people all over the place. That, that part is not so much of a change for us, fortunately. Um, one thing that has changed is we're doing a lot more video calls than we've done before. So that's, I, I think, new and positive and probably something we'll, we'll keep in the long term. Yeah, I should note on a, on non-text uh, matter. So because of diversity and inclusion concerns, you know, one of the things that we tried to do even before the pandemic was to encourage flexible arrangements, including work from home. So th that has been something that uh, we've, we've done both on a kind of interim basis or people take a few days off and work from home, which I do pretty frequently, um, or uh, actually folks have moved to uh, different uh, cities. So, you know, we have someone in Portland, someone in Atlanta, just because of family requirements they needed to move and are working seamlessly in different areas. So, you know, it's, it's been tough doing this for four months, but there, there's flexibility here long term that actually has been quite beneficial to our practice. And, and the idea is hopefully, you know, you get in more talent that for whatever reason, because of challenges at home, either moving or um, just, you know, family challenges can, can have more flexible arrangements so they can stay within the firm and bring their talent to bear. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, not shown here are the, uh, the Minneapolis, uh, Orange County, San Diego, and Seattle satellite offices of Palo Alto. <laughs> Many of our partners um, work elsewhere. Uh, so here we, we are tuning our own horn a little bit, but we wanted to give you a sense of, of kind of the recognition of our tax practice group. And if you ever manage to navigate our intranet site, which is a real challenge and kudos to you if you can figure it out, there's a lot more of this, um, all the sort of different uh, recognition that we get from organizations that rank tax practices and international tax practices around the world. Um, so we are pretty consistently ranked in the top band for chambers, which I think is maybe one of the more um, significant of these um, for, for international tax. Um, and we could go on and on about all the different awards we've won, but we won't do that and just let you uh, look for yourself. Yeah, I think the, the key um, takeaway I, I, is principally like we're one of the top practice groups in so international tax, transfer pricing, and litigation tax controversy are in North America, you know, they're three premier and we're competing with, you know, just three or four other firms within those areas. So uh, it really is a, a point of differentiation for Baker McKenzie and it's, it's, been, um, it's been both a way to generate work 
you know, within the tax group, but also for other practice groups. Yeah. And one of the things that I think maybe it's worth noting, one way that we are a little bit different from some other law firm tax practices is that we don't um, historically focus as much on third-party M&A. We certainly do that, but that is one piece of a much broader practice that we have. And so a lot of the work that we do is sort of behind the scenes work that does not necessarily show up in the financial press. You know, for example, if we are moving $40 billion worth of a company's intellectual property from one jurisdiction to another jurisdiction, that's not necessarily something they want publicized. Um, certainly not something we would be permitted to talk about due to attorney-client privilege. And so a lot of the things that we do tend to fly under the radar. And so we rely really a lot on our very strong relationships with, with clients and their willingness to kind of sort of say great things about us um, to, to these ranking organizations and to other clients. He said, yikes, so soon. I've been dreading this day for some time now. Just kidding. Very glad to have you all back. Big bummer. We can't have our typical summer program, but would love to have a Zoom catch a call. Also, I'm a little disappointed. I did not get updated. I was waiting to see if it was a question, but it sounds like it wasn't. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So, um, so you've got your first acronym, NATPG, which is North America Tax Practice Group. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll let Phil talk a bit more about sort of how we're organized internally. Yeah. So, so yeah, the NATPG stands for North America Tax Practice Group. That's right. There's a lot of acronyms. It takes a while to get used to. Um, so you see listed here our, our current management committee and, and basically you know, the way that our firm is operating and has operated for a number of years is we go to market based on practice groups uh, and industry groups. And so, you know, a lot of our culture is centered around our, our practice group in, in, in both the, the um, local offices, but also um, in the, uh, in the uh, national level. So uh, Melinda Phelan is our chair. She's out of the Dallas office. And, and uh, Josh, Scott, Salim, and Luis uh, represent a cross-section of, of offices and practice groups. And, and basically, uh, they meet on a, a regular basis to ensure that the, the, uh, the practice is going in the right direction, both in terms of talent management, but also business development, um, all kind of practice development type of things. So, um, so that's basically... The, the structure and Paul, you want to go to the next slide? Yeah. So this kind of lists out how it's it's structured uh, kind of more broadly. So our, our chief operating officer, Lisa Goodwin, who actually uh, was a summer associate in our DC office in uh, I believe 2008 and, uh, and practiced as an attorney and now has come in on the operations side and helps to run the practice along with Liz Boone who helps um, with coordination of articles and all sorts of knowledge management, which is a big undertaking for a practice this big. And, uh, and on the right side, we have listed out all the different practice groups and each one has a particular uh, partner that's in charge of running that practice group. So for example, I'm part of the tax controversy steering committee, which is led by George Clark. And we try to uh, focus on specific training and initiatives for that practice group. So for example, we have uh, an annual training session of on your feet trial skills training, usually every year, uh, not this year, as you might imagine, but, um, but all the practice groups basically have similar 
types of training sessions and business development efforts. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, on top of this structure, there's sort of a global structure as well. So there's kind of all of this exists in parallel at the global level. There is, you know, a global head of tax planning transactions and so on. Um, and then the other thing we didn't list here is sort of the office practice group chairs. So each office will have a chair of the tax practice group there. So, for example, in, in the California offices, it's Robin Chesler. Um, and, and so there, there are kind of layers of people you can go to with um, ideas or questions or concerns. Um, and another thing we didn't mention in the slides, but Phil, you touched on it, and, and we should probably talk about it a bit, is just the kind of cadence of meetings and training, um, because I, I think that's another big differentiator for us. Um, we, we are very big on training and meetings at, at Baker, at least in tax, um, because we're so spread out. We really, the, the group really invests a lot in giving us opportunities to get to know each other personally um, and to meet face-to-face, -face, uh, both to exchange ideas and learn, but also, frankly, to kind of build relationships. You know, it's a, it's a very different thing if you need to call somebody in Amsterdam at midnight their time to ask them to go chase down someone um, to get them to find something. It's a really different thing to do that if that's a friend of yours that you've had coffee with every year at every meeting for five years back versus somebody that you're kind of cold calling. Um, and so we have, um, we have an annual, again, in typical years, I don't know what's going to happen for the next 12 to 24 months, but in typical years, we have an annual meeting that is all of North America. Um, and as, as Phil mentioned, since we've now integrated Mexico, we had our inaugural Mexico City meeting um, two years ago, which was very exciting. And then uh, we have kind of practice group meetings, and we'll talk about the practice groups in a minute. Um, but so there, you're usually, as an associate, expected to go to about two of those. Um, there, are, there are three or four in any given year, um, depending on your practice group interests. And then aside from that, there's any number of sort of business development client-facing meetings where we put on a seminar, perhaps jointly with some um, professional organization, invite a bunch of clients to it. We speak to them, but it's also kind of a learning opportunity for us. Um, there are global meetings as well, European meeting and Asian meeting and Latin America meeting, and, and some folks will go to those as well. So, Lots of, lots of opportunity to go to interesting places if you want to. Lots of opportunity to spend quality time with your colleagues around the world, which is great. Um, okay, so then you know, getting into what we actually do as, as tax professionals, and it's a bit hard to distill this down into a few minutes, um, but the tax practice group is big. We do a lot of different things, and so we've tried to give you a semi-official list of the sub-practice groups. This doesn't quite line up to the official list because some practices exist globally that don't exist here. So, um, you know, this is, don't take this as a definitive, <laughs> definitive listing, but it should give you an idea of the stuff we do. Um, so kind of starting at the top, um, and Phil will get into this a bit in a minute, but we kind of have two parallel organizations. There's what we refer to as the LLP is the law firm, and then there's the LLC, which is our economics consulting practice. Focusing on the law firm side of this for a minute. Um, so, uh, and, and Phil, chime in on any of this, obviously. Um, 
pass-throughs, financial products, and workouts, um, they're focused on things like partnerships. Hey, Mom. Um, yeah. This is a snack. Sure. Yep. Uh, what? Nope. Nope. Okay. Let me see if there's a question. All right. Um, you focus on, you know, debt instrument financing, um, okay. all of those sorts of issues. It's a pretty specialized practice. And so it... Um, my earbuds are in. I can't, I'm listening in. to something else. I can't really hear you talking. <laughs> see if I can mute them. No, I can't. Okay. Um, so, uh, so pretty specialized practice, and that's kind of concentrated in, in folks who really focus on that area. Um, state and local taxation, or SALT, um, that's been a huge growth area for us. We've really um, vastly expanded that practice in the last few years. We have a few really dynamic um, and energetic new partners who are great, um, both on, on both coasts and in the middle. Um, so state and local taxation, you know, kind of runs the gamut from transactional matters to controversy um, dealing with anything that's not at the federal level. Um, tax controversy slash global tax dispute resolution. I will let you talk to that one, Phil. Sure. Yeah. She mentioned salt, salt's fun. It's like the wild west, right? Because you have all these different state and local tax authorities you know, that don't necessarily have the expertise that you have at the national level. And so you can get some really uh, crazy uh, disputes. And um, the folks, I, I don't know how they do it. They, they have to understand like 50 different uh, laws and then also local municipality laws and they know it cold. It's really impressive. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fun practice. Uh, so I do tax controversy, which is, I think I mentioned a, a bit on the front end um, of our discussion, a, a mix of litigation. So the principal place where you, you bring tax suits especially for our corporate clients is the tax court. And the reason for that is you don't have to pay. Uh, you can actually also bring suit in district court and uh, the court of federal claims, which is here in Washington, DC, but you have to, to pay the tax and then uh, file a refund. And for some of our issues, there are billions of dollars uh, in dispute. So it's really something that's difficult for companies to do. So, so we do a lot of uh, litigation in, in the tax court and district courts and the court of federal claims. And then, in Palo Courts. Um, currently, I'm working on a brief in the Southern District of New York, which is due today, on a regulatory validity question and uh, a Supreme Court amicus brief on a, on a procedural question as to whether taxpayers can bring suits uh, challenging regulation um, ahead of the enforcement through the IRS assessment and collection process. So, so we have uh, a good amount of litigation that we do and then uh, we also help companies navigate uh, audits uh, where the IRS typically for a company will audit them if they're big enough on a, on a regular basis. So they're basically always an audit going on. It's just a question of what years are being audited. And it's typically, you know, a few years. So we're dealing with like, say, 15 through 17 taxable years that are being under audit now. And we help companies respond to information requests, try to resolve issues with the IRS exam team. And then there's also um, an independent office that's called IRS Appeals, that if you, you have a dispute with the IRS, you can go there and they're supposed to weigh hazards of the litigation uh, on the issues on an impartial basis. So we try to settle in that to avoid litigation. So basically, uh, controversies are typically focused on, on U.S. 
national, so like IRS income tax, but we cover, we've dealt with the excise tax before. We've helped companies deal with global disputes um, by managing kind of, you know, coordinated efforts on the, at the U.S. Um, so kind of run the gamut, but it's all kind of focused on the dispute end of the, the process. Right. I mean, Susan Ryba has spent a substantial amount of time in Mauritius dealing with <laughs> one very <Right>. ugly, <laughs> one very ugly matter. So it, it definitely extends beyond U.S. Um, and, and the tax planning, you can think of as sort of setting up the pipeline for Phil. See, I, I plan the transactions, they get audited, they get disputed, and then, and then uh, he takes it from there. Um, but that, that is sort of part of our um, Baker McKenzie value proposition and how we go to market is that we, we stand behind the transaction, we will plan it for you, we will implement it for you, and when the IRS is auditing it, we will help you defend it. Um, which again, I think is a, is a big differentiator um, between us and, and some of our competitors. Um, on the, the tax planning side, which is more uh, my piece of it, um, tax planning and transactions is a really broad umbrella that encompasses a lot of things. Um, what I think of as kind of core tax planning is, is really primarily internal transactions that companies are doing or, or um, you know, on the adjacent to an external transaction um, that companies are doing to either optimize their tax position or address some particular issue um, under international tax rules um, or integrate, say, a company that they've just bought. Um, in, on the West Coast, um, tax planning is very heavily intertwined with intellectual property planning because a lot of the companies that we work with out here, most of their value is in their intellectual property. And intellectual property is sort of an inherently mobile asset, which means you can have a choice about where it's going to be and what set of rules it's going to be taxed under. And so a lot of the work that we do is around helping companies figure that out. Um, where should my intellectual property be? If I need to use it in a place other than where it is, how do I make that happen? What are the kind of internal relationships between the different subsidiaries in my group and how do they all work together? Um, so that, that's kind of what I do day to day. M&A um, is sort of more third-party transactions, so external. You're buying something, you're selling something, you're spinning something off. Um, and that is more, um, more typical of what you will see at other, other law firms. Um, on the West Coast, we have just vastly expanded our corporate M&A capabilities. We have a lot of really high-profile, energetic, exciting uh, new lateral partners in that group. And so I think we're going to be seeing a big uptick in M&A coming from the corporate side, which means we will see a big uptick on the tax side too, which is good news. Um, and then tax policy, I kind of put under this umbrella, but it's a little bit of a different animal. Um, we have a group of folks mostly in DC that are really involved in kind of shaping tax policy, advocating our clients' positions before the government's um, some of it is lobbying, some of it is not lobbying technically under the lobbying rules. Um, um, you know, but it's also kind of having our ears to the ground about what, what is going on, what IRS guidance do we think is coming. Um, it's been the last 24 months, I would say, have been the biggest change in the international tax world, both in the U.S. and, and overseas 
that, that we've had in a couple of generations. There's really been nothing like this since like 1986 tax reform, where our whole US international system was overhauled and the amount of change and churn that's happening overseas is kind of equivalent. So it's, this has become a really, really important thing for our clients, kind of what is happening next? Um, what do these new rules mean? Just helping them kind of navigate all of that. Um, and then transfer pricing, um, I think you'll have a whole separate session to explain it, but in, in one minute or less, transfer pricing means you have two companies in your group that are doing um, some, something is between them, like one is selling to the other or one is providing a service to the other. Um, and you have to figure out the appropriate amount to sort of charge for that because otherwise you can manipulate that to sort of put more money in a low tax country and less money in a high tax country. Um, and so transfer pricing is the art and science of figuring out what that price should be um, to sort of comply with international tax rules and how to document everything. Um, so it really goes hand in hand with the planning practice, but it is also a source of a huge amount of controversy, um, which Phil can speak more to, but we, um, we do more sort of transfer pricing litigation, I think, than anybody else does. Yeah. Um, yeah, transfer pricing are the biggest disputes because, you know, it's, you know, we, we have a case, for example, for Facebook right now in tax court, what's the value of its IP? That's a very difficult valuation question, and it's one where the IRS has been very aggressive in really trying to, to increase values of IP you know, as compared to what was reported on the tax returns. So you can see multi-billion dollar adjustments pretty frequently. And that can frequently be about the company litigation yeah. for, for uh, our clients. And so it's uh, among the areas of dispute, I think, in all of the law, it's, it's probably one of the, the largest in terms of exposure. And so it's, it's always a very high yeah. priority. It's also one of the more challenging to learn you know, for the folks that are, are in the tax practice. It's, uh, it's very technical on, on economics and there's different methodologies in terms of art. So it does take a while to get up to speed, but it, it, you do eventually do it. And I think you never, when you're in it, you don't feel like it'll ever come through, but it actually does. And uh, it's, it's quite an interesting practice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty neat because when you're on the planning side of it and, and you have to kind of think about the transfer pricing as part of it, you really need to learn the company. You need to learn their business very intimately because the you know, basic, basic principle is the tax follows the profit and the profit follows the value. So where is the value, right? A lot of the exercise is trying to figure out what is it that makes this company tick? What is valuable? Um, and, and that can be a, a pretty fun exercise, kind of speaking to people who are not tax people at all in the, com in the company, um, trying to understand what they do and how it fits in with the rest, um, especially when you're dealing with these kind of really cutting edge companies that make really interesting products and you learn a lot. Um, and then just to round out on the practice group, so um, wealth management is, is sort of what it sounds like, um, you know, working with uh, high wealth, high net worth individuals um, to, to deal with sort of their planning matters. Um, that also involves a pretty heavy component of uh, non-US folks investing in the US, um, especially in Miami, a lot of our folks are very um, expert in that. 
Um, and then I put um, VAT and indirect tax here. Um, indirect tax is basically not income tax, but like sales tax or value-added tax, consumption tax. Um, in the US, that falls under the umbrella of SALT um, because sales taxes are imposed at the state and local level and not at the federal level. Um, but overseas, um, it's often a value-added tax, and that's a whole um, separate practice that um, that intertwines with ours, but again, it's, it's a whole different set of rules that you need to know. Yeah, so it mentioned briefly uh, the difference between Baker McKenzie LLC and Baker McKenzie LLP. So uh, you may be aware that there's uh, restrictions on who can practice in a law firm. And so many years ago, we um, felt like there was a need for particularly because of our transfer pricing practice, which, which uh, Paula just did a great job of explaining, um, for economists in addition to attorneys. So we have a separate legal entity, a separate group uh, called Baker McKenzie LLC, and that has our economics consulting group. And while it's a technically separate legal entity, it is fully integrated for, with our, our practice, and it sits under tax. Um, and, and they are principally focused on helping support um, cases that deal with difficult valuation issues, working on the economics behind it. They frequently, um, the tax law requires you to provide pretty extensive documentation of your transfer prices using uh, detailed analysis and they, they help to provide that. They provide support and litigation and they also handle other non-transfer pricing issues like valuations. So, that, so they actually can do for other practice groups like antitrust. Um, to the extent that they can add value. So it's, it's a yeah. unique, you know, this is not something that you'd see in most other law firms. Yeah. Okay. Um, just real quick on the global industry group. So this isn't really tax specific. So this is actually relevant to, to everyone, uh, no matter what practice group you're gonna be in. But um, since I wanna make sure that the, again, I don't want you to be overwhelmed with acronyms and we do tend to throw them around. Um, so historically, we've been organized as a firm by practice group, but there's been an effort in recent years to sort of coordinate some of the knowledge that we have that's industry specific, but that crosses practice groups. Um, and so um, we, I think everyone now has, has chosen one or two kind of global industry groups that you're primarily aligned with, and we have you know, additional meetings, trainings, and resources around that. To, to basically help you get up to speed on the industry that most of your clients are in. Um, so for me, for example, um, most of my clients are in technology, media, and telecom. I do a lot of work with semiconductor companies and software companies. Um, I also do some healthcare because uh, we have a big pharmaceutical industry out here. Um, you know, I think if you're, if you're in Houston or Dallas, the energy mining and infrastructure is going to be a bigger deal for you. Um, so um, that's, Again, just to give you a little a little taste of how we how we organize ourselves. Um, and then I guess finally we, we thought we would close by just showing you a bit about our our clients. Um, and Phil, I don't know if you want to kind of introduce or brag about some of these. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I think you can see it's kind of you know the who's who of top companies in, in the United States. I, there's two trends you can kind of see if you look at this list, uh, which is, I think, 
fair for all of our tax practice. You have tech companies and you have pharma companies. And the reason for that is they both have very high valued IP um, where there's real difficult questions as to who taxes it and a lot of tax authorities going after um, th their profits. And so these type of high margin, um, high likelihood for dispute, high, high um, value add for managing their taxes is, is typically where we see most of the work. You also see you know, more traditional manufacturers like Whirlpool um, and, uh, and uh, you see FedEx on the list as well. We, we basically have uh, a wide range of clients. So uh, things that are not on there too, like we represent most of the aerospace and defense companies because they have a, a lot of issues with uh, the research credit under the tax law because they do a lot of R&D. That's a pretty uh, intense uh, factual issue and is subject to dispute frequently with the IRS. Yeah. Kind of see kind of general yeah. themes on the types of clients that we see, but they're usually all big, um, you know, high, high profile clients. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the client base is amazing. Out, out here in Silicon Valley, if you, you know, think of, think of a tech company, um, we represent them, basically all of them. It's, it's, it's a little bit nuts. Um, I think one, one thing that we didn't really get to explain earlier, I, I think it's just the difference between how our tax practice group interacts with clients um, versus how it works traditionally at other law firms. Um, the companies that we deal with, and we do deal with smaller ones too. I mean, you know, today's startup is tomorrow's Facebook. So um, we certainly work with companies at all stages of the life cycle. But when you get to be the size of the companies on this list, and you're so multinational, you, you have a whole internal um, tax organization within your company already like, like you know Broadcom has any number of, of tax professionals that work with them Google has you know armies of in-house tax lawyers many of whom used to work for us um, and and went in-house um, and and so that group um, which sometimes work, reports to legal I think more typically reports to say the CFO of the company rather than to the general counsel of the company which manages legal those organizations hire us directly. Even if in many cases, we didn't already have an existing relationship with them with their head of legal. Um, and so that means that the, the client facing relationship is a tax relationship. We are the ones responsible for sort of bringing in the client, developing the relationship, getting to know them, managing the matter, keeping them happy on billing. Um, it's, it's, a lot of additional work, um, but it, it's also extremely rewarding because we have a lot more kind of control over our own destinies. Um, you know, in contrast, when I was in a more traditional kind of domestic M&A practice, I worked for the corporate team. Um, I, I reported to them and they had the client relationship and I very seldom actually got to speak to the client or work with the client. Um, and the, the strength of the firm's relationship was kind of external to me. Um, so that's really one of the things that I find um, to be a lot of fun in the practice. I would say I, I started off as a tax lawyer because I thought that I was the type of person that really wanted to sit there and think deep thoughts about the code and puzzle over these incredibly intricate provisions. 
And I do love doing that, but I found that as time goes on, the part that I really love is kind of building that relationship of trust with the client. Um, you know, and the person that starts off at a pretty junior level within the client eventually moves up the chain and eventually they leave and they become the VP tax of some other company. So we really try to encourage um, that relationship building at all levels, even with our junior associates, for the junior associates to kind of get to know the people at their level within the organization and they grow together. That's a great point. Yeah, relationships matter so much. It's something that, you know, I felt like I didn't really appreciate as much in law school that that's like, as you evolve your practice, ultimately the key, probably the number one key, um, in addition to the, you know, doing really good work and making clients happy, but keeping those deep relationships, um, both within the firm and also with your clients. Uh, so, Paul, we have a, a question, a good one from Alex Crowley. Oh, yeah. Baker has. Yeah, sorry, I can't see because I can't see because the slides are blocking them. So, okay, yeah, I can. I can. Uh, how does Baker have all those clients and avoid conflict of interest? Big firewalls between client files and attorney teams working for different clients. So, I, I can I take a first crack at being Paul quickly. And so, uh, typically, when we the, the the counterparty to the suit. You know, when we're dealing with the IRS is the United States government. So from a, the action itself, typically that's not a concern. There's two alternative concerns. One is if there's conflicts on uh, business litigation on, against these companies. And typically, because we don't do a huge amount of, of commercial litigation, that, that doesn't exist as much. But I've experienced uh, the conflicts where it's come up most often been concerned is business conflicts. It's kind of the Pepsi Coke conflict where um, if we're doing pitches for particular clients, some actually like the fact that you're working with a broad cross section of the industry. And in, in fact, it's usually beneficial, but some because there's such big competition, it'll disqualify you. So you see that in three or four, yeah. um, three or four areas. Yeah, on the transactional side, um, sometimes when we're, especially when we're doing um, sort of M&A, but multinational M&A, where we need to, let's say they've got subsidiaries in 20 different countries, and they're going to sell the assets in all 20 of the countries from one company to the other. We recently worked on one where we were on both sides of that, because there really is no other law firm that has people um, in all of those countries. And so we literally had we have a list that is three pages long of the attorneys that work on one matter and the attorneys that work on the other and we're blocked off from accessing um, files. Yeah, that's a good point. But they I are very that's careful not, about that yeah. and have very, um, very rigorous protocols. So we have another question from Duncan. Do clients ever question the fact that Baker gets paid, both plan the transaction and litigate it if the IRS disapproves? Uh, how are those adverse incentives handled? Paul, you want to handle that? Uh, I, I, I actually can't answer that because I don't, I, I have not yet had one of mine go all the way <laughs> to an actual dispute. Um, it, it just hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. I, I do have my first one this year where they're now under audit on a transaction that I, I didn't plan, but I wrote an opinion for them on it. Um, but so, I, I don't, I don't know how yeah, it's going to play Yeah, out. I have to say that <laughs> a lot of the controversies actually are stuff that we didn't do, but um, it is frequently the case, Paula mentioned some of the things that are our principal focuses for our group, IP planning, 
that's stuff that you're going to be in litigation. So they know upfront that this is a package deal that if you're going to try to report this, do this transaction, you're going to face IRS disputes. So it often um, actually does benefit the company to have a litigation ready strategy early in the process, um, rather than kind of wait until it's well within the process to start engaging counsel. So we've seen that to be pretty effective. One thing you do have to be really careful with are, if you have people that are planning the transaction, people that are involved in the controversy, kind of start to wear two hats. And the people that are involved in planning can sometimes be witnesses. They can sometimes, if there's penalty reliance, you know, there's attorney uh, client privilege issues or attorney work product issues where there's potential waivers. So it is something we have to be careful with, but it's typically clients think of it as a really good thing that we're involved in both. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I will say I, that's a good point. I think of it as a good thing because I, I will often have a conversation up front, like um, you know, I'll go to Scott or Mark or one of the controversy partners in our office and say, well, we're writing an opinion about this, um, but the opinion is going to be used for purposes X, Y, Z. You know, will that work? Is it going to blow privilege on my opinion? Um, what do I need to sort of be focused on? And I can ask those questions before we do it, um, which, which is extremely helpful. So I think we are over our time, so I don't want to hold folks over, but I really appreciate sitting in and uh, listening on this topic. I hope we can actually be together and meet soon. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, if, if there are any other questions, and thanks for the great questions, uh, we really appreciate it. But if there are any others, feel free to reach out to either of us or, or anyone in the tax group. Always happy to chat. Yeah, please. And you'll be getting, this is more of a shot, you'll be getting some invites from me um, in the next half hour regarding uh, specific overviews for our sub-practice groups. Thanks, Mark. Forgot about that. Yes. All right. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.